well, Mark. How are you? Uh, hey, how I'm pretty good, It's the AD, the podcast superstar. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty good, thanks. Pretty good. Um, wow. Well, word on the street is I'm lucky to be on this with you. Wow. Hey, we're always lucky to be with one another. Hey. Hey. Right. Um, well, what a lovely day, Jermaine. I know, isn't it? Isn't it just? I can hear the birds chirping in the background. Sounds wonderful. It's a, it's a, it's a wave machine I've got in my house. A what? <laughs> no, 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 I'm just joking. It, yeah, oh, it's, uh, na- it's nature at its best. With very few people around. Aww. Yeah. Um, um, so how you so- doing? Today on the uh, Curious Anarchy podcast, we're going to be following up with uh, Junior, who we were speaking Ooh. with. So this is the second part of that conversation um, as part of the Stargazer series. So the Stargazer being that we think these people in the future will become bright, bright uh, representatives of their art and their craft. We're prediction. This is our prediction for 2021-22. And Junior, we, we we talked to last time, but we didn't quite finish the conversation, did we? So we've invited him back. Hello? Sent that email over to him now, so he should hopefully be joining us very, very shortly. Um, oh, I hope so. Well, what were your thoughts on the, the conversation that you had with Junior, the first part? So I, I didn't realise that uh, how much his youth and his politics had affected him at such an early age. Mm-hmm. And given that he'd lived in Zambia and in the United Kingdom, it's quite interesting to see his his perceptions and how he used it to develop his skills. What yeah. about yourself? Um. For me, it was it was like obviously I've I've not known him, but um, an understanding of fashion from the age that he is or was, I should say, and growing up with fashion. It's it's like for me, like I wanted to explore some of that sort of the masculine side of things because fashion isn't typically seen as a, a very masculine thing, and no. to kind of understand how he's kind of navigated that. I think it's, it's amazing. I think it's absolutely amazing. Um, so we could ask him that again, because I didn't think we got the answers to some of those questions. Yeah, yeah. He, he began to talk about them. We didn't really get deeply into that. That'd be quite interesting, actually. Sure. I hadn't thought of it quite like that. But yeah, you're right when you think about it. Um, I wonder what his visions are about how the future of fashion will go and how his future in fashion will go. So, just sort of interested to ask those kind of questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was also very helpful last time you explained to me about the, the fashion show that you'd visited, because I'd not been to one. So, um, I mean, I've not been to one, in the, you know, like in Paris and London. I've been to local ones, but not, you know, like school type of ones, but not ones that were internationally famous. And uh, your perceptions were incredible. Uh Really helpful that you've done that. Uh, so thank you for that as well, because that was really illuminating. 
Well, um, let's hope that Junior will be joining us very, very shortly to uh, expand Ooh, our horizon so. further. It's, today. So it's not falling asleep in the garden or something? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. On a day like this. Well, the sun out today. It's been out all morning. Uh, and it's hot. It, yeah. <laughs> For London, it's hot. Yeah, it's warm. I haven't actually been outside properly today. Oh, you haven't? Okay. Office, that's for sure. Okay. Well, it's uh, it's pretty warm outside. Mm. And it's only about, uh, in London, it's only about midday. So it's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. So, Jermaine, um, did you have stages that when you were like going through school and afterwards that fashion changed for you, like in terms of your appreciation or your. The, you know what, you, what? you know what, right? Um, at the age of, I think I was around 13 or 14, I remember drawing these hats with like, um, you know, the, I think they, we call them doggy hats. But they had Which like, ones? They were like your baseball caps, but they had like, um, like an extra material kind of like a ear cover thing. Oh, I remember those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, they were really, really popular at the time when they came out. But okay. I, I okay. had actually drawn literally that design, um, like, wow. before they actually came out. And oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it was really, really weird. Um, but it was interesting to see something like that actually come to life. Because, it, I mean, they weren't the most prettiest looking thing the flickered clothing but they were quite practical yeah 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 interesting um, and did you change when you left school did you change like what you looked at as fashion when you left school yeah like to, to be quite honest I've never really been into fashion as such um, like I can appreciate things that look nice to me but I'm 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 not really a label person. I'm you know majority of my clothing doesn't really have big logos on it or anything like that. I'm not really a branded kind of person either. So it, yeah, it's it's not that I'm like I'm not like oh screw fashion. It's that's not like where I'm coming from. It's just I just like to feel good in what I'm wearing and comfortable and just not feel like I'm a, sure. a walking advert sure. kind of thing. <laughs> like Formula One. No, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, uh, I, it's interesting. I'm very much the same as you. I used to joke at school that I had a Steve Sherman shirt, which was Ben's brother. You yeah. Know, so, you know, because it wasn't such a thing. But I thought it was quite funny to to go near the label, but not quite. You know, like uh, uh, Steve Westwood rather than Vivian or something like that. Oh, you know, right. just make up your own <laughs> concepts of it. So, um, but what I found interesting um, growing up, as I have done, was, um, you know, like when you sort of say sport mirroring art and vice versa. So going to football from a young age and seeing how fashion changed on the terraces mm. was fascinating because I was never, like I said, I never really even followed fashion. I remember I was only hippie looking guy at a punk gig and the only punk looking guy at a hippie gig I, I used to try and do the opposite to be honest with you and um, I remember in the terraces it was really interesting because in the early days of the 70s every, uh, early 70s everyone wore Doc Martin boots uh, yeah. stonewashed jeans Crombie jackets okay. 
and it was a big German shirts, and it was real. There was a real like uh, uniformity about it. Mm, mm. it look, these, these are all symbols, right? Uh, on the whole, yes, I think so. On the whole, I think they are. Yeah, but everyone had them. Yeah, except me, obviously. But I'm saying most people would go, turn up like that, and then it changed when. In the 70s, we had the mullet look and a flare jeans. So it changed to that. So people were wearing flare jeans and, and sort of tank tops and just really strange outfits with DM, with DM boots with it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so you had your scarf hanging down from your, from your sleeve, your arm, and a tank top, a shirt, and boots. It was a very strange look. <laughs> and then... So, well, this is the way it was explained to me, and I might be wrong. When a lot of the teams like Liverpool and Tottenham went into Europe, they used to ram-raid the shops and take loads of fashion so that then you'd have them all hanging on washing lines along high streets in Liverpool and Tottenham to for people to buy the look, which at the time became what was called casual, which is another way of sort of saying smart, because up till then, football was the last place you went to look smart. But the people were wearing really nice clothing uh-huh. on the terraces. So it changed completely. And it was like, if you dressed in a Crombie and Stonewash jeans then, everyone's looking at you going, mate, are you from Doctor Who or something? You know, what are you doing? <laughs> but it was people really got into this look of casual, like the Italian Lecoq and all this stuff. And uh, oh, yeah, eventually Lecoq. became... Yeah. I mean, and then it became, what was that other one that everyone used to wear? Stone... Stone Island, Island or something. Yeah, they still wear that. Stonewall Island. Stonewall Island, everyone will see. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, so it just changed. And all these sudden labels suddenly became really important. Like, so all football thugs will be wearing Cross Crossfire or Stone Island or whatever, you know, all different names. Yeah. Um, depending on what they got from Europe. Right. And that paid for their next trip to Europe. So you take back, you take, you know, 50 shirts, sell them on the high street, and it pays for you and your crew to go back into Europe for the next trip. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, now it's become, you can almost turn up in a suit now because it's a very different beast now that you sit, everyone's sitting down because it was all on the terraces. So it had to be practical as well in those days. Now it's, you can wear a suit, you know, no one would care two hoots. It just changed the imagery of what the football fan looked like. Mm. But it's interesting now because I, I worked with kids in school for a long time and their idea of fashion then. So it really was about labels. Even the poorest kid would st- struggle really hard to get a Reebok or a Nike for their footwear. You know, they would, would hate to be wearing Smith's Local or something like that. <laughs> just really wouldn't be wearing something like that at all. In my day... You, when I was at school, you might have got something half decent, like I said, a Puma shoe. But that wasn't like, it wasn't by any means everyone at all. Yeah. And I, I could have known that. I had Woolworth shoes and no one cared. But these kids growing up, they had a lot of pressure to wear the names. Like you were saying, the advertising. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed that changed a lot with the the hip hop movement. When they started advertising specific brands mm-hmm. you know like uh, yeah. everyone will be wearing Nike or something this was like huh? the, the yeah, yeah, yeah still is but then 
it was like so if you liked a certain artist and they were all wearing I don't know high tech not that they would but I'm saying if they, if they yeah. were everyone would buy high tech because he liked that <laughs> artist it was a bit of a way of saying I like this really guy really interesting you mentioned that because I'm immediately I'm thinking of Kill Bill and that was ASICS ASICS weren't really a popular brand but then once no. they were on Kill Bill they kind of became a bit more yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but cool. a lot of that happened in films but but I remember, I don't know if you remember, because it was a little probably a bit early for you, but um, New Jack City yeah. and Boys, Boys in the yeah. Hood. A lot of the fashion in that came over here because people saw the movies and were like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that on. You know, I'm going to look, I'm going to look to wear yeah. that. Yeah. So um, suddenly you see people dressed like they're in <laughs> South, South LA when they're in snowy London. You know, it was like a very weird look <laughs> to have. Um, and that's I mean I'm talking mainly about men now as for the women I mean what was interesting for me is I had a job once in Camberwell um, in South London near Brixton and when I went to work there I was shocked that how a lot of the, the, the women in that area dressed as if they were at carnival because I'd only seen this look at Carnival where people wore close to bedroom attire in the street. Yeah. You know, and in Carnival, you can get away with it because there's thousands of people and it's all a, a dancey thing. Seeing people going up and down the high street, normal jobs and everything, dressed like they're at Carnival was a real eye-opener for me because I didn't think that was a socially acceptable thing, especially a lot of church-based communities. However, subsequently... These these people look shy compared to what people are wearing today, yeah. or not not wearing today, I should say. Really, in fairness, and it's just interesting the way fashion's changed, the way that it's 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 challenged the boundaries of what we knew in so many ways, so many ways. Um, and when I look back now, it's it's much more fun enjoying fashion when you're no longer a slave to it, if you like. Yeah. You know, when you can actually enjoy what you're yeah, doing, yeah. put on whatever you want. Um, you don't have that what's external pressure now? from it's everybody else wanting you to wear or to be seen a certain way. Uh, yeah, and people are trying to act nonchalant when they've made such a big effort to put on specific clothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's like a real contradiction that you're acting like you've just popped out of your house, but clearly you haven't because, you know, your hair's done. I remember when I was uh, used to visit my cousin in Northampton and all the fellas, you would have starch iron shirts in, even in the pub like white shirts starch iron mm -hmm. every Saturday night I was the only one in a shirt with some crumpled shirt that hadn't been ironed for two weeks or whatever you know and it was just like really interesting that everyone had this look and they did they gelled their hair it became a point you know like in the 70s we didn't gel the hair everyone had mullets and suddenly everyone was gelling their hair it was like crazy I mean you go out for an evening you could have set fire to the place with a match mm -hmm. It was that much gel in the building. And then that affects everything else. The seats, the windows, everything gets touched with gel, doesn't it? Because it's everywhere. And that was the fellas. You know what I mean? That was just the blowpipes going out. And that was quite funny as well. So, uh, I don't know. It was, it's fashion. I've always found fashion fascinating, especially traveling a lot as well. You see different things. Like, for example, you and I were planning to go to sort of East Africa and, 
a lot of the fashion for the women there is to wear drapes with pictures of, 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 of their heroes on them, uh, like the president or something. That's really interesting fashion accessory because we don't use it here like that. Maybe a bit in Trump's <laughs> campaign. Do, I was going to say, can you imagine walking around with Boris on like, a T-shirt? Well, you know, if you were if you were in, say, Kenya, you would have a... And it wasn't even a T-shirt. It's like a, a cloth that you're wearing. Oh, right, okay. Even as a headdress or as a, a dress or as a top. But it would have Boris's face on it. I mean, so these people, when they came to a lot of the leaders when they came to the UK would have 200 women dressed all like this wearing their, their face on it so if Boris was from Kenya he would have done that absolutely um, the fact that he's from Surrey and no one cares two hoots probably isn't the best advertisement for him having the same look uh, but he was very very uh, what's the word I'm looking for he was very, very anti-fashion, Boris, because he started to kind of... Well, some of his looks he's had over the years have been amazing mm. uh, in anti-fashion and even anti-neatness. Uh, he really has made an effort to look as ridiculous as possible. <laughs> and that's, again, a very British way of doing things. When you see the British on holiday, you know, you'll see guys with uh, shorts, socks and sandals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like wow you've gone out your way to look as silly as you can you stand next to the Germans and the French and you think you can tell who's English from a distance even the Americans you can tell who's English from a distance you know aside from being you know white then turn beetroot if you like you know after a couple of days in the sun you can tell the English are broad because they, 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 their idea of fashion I mean they're not used to being in hot temperatures yeah so when they are it just stands out a mile because they they in the UK, you have to prepare for every season in every day. <laughs> so you might have all four, you might have all four weathers in one day. Whereas in in when you go somewhere hot, it's literally going to be hot all day. So you don't need to have the cover up. You know, like you don't have to prepare for an umbrella and a you know, jumper when you're going to a very hot. Did climate. you wear a caftan while you were out in Africa? Like, Do you know what? I wore one in Morocco, but only because I had two days of being ripped off by people and one of the things of being ripped off was someone got me a caftan <laughs> so I wore it for a couple of days right. um, I I don't think it works so well in the cities if you're going somewhere remote it's much nicer to wear them it's a bit uncomfortable walking around cities in them when other people got jeans and stuff on it doesn't feel quite so comfortable really? Jean, jeans are not comfortable a caftan's uncomfortable uh, not uncomfortable but they're just um, how can I put it they're very liberating in a strange way. But more more uncomfortable uh, than jeans. Because I'm, I'm thinking we need to wear more, some kind of loose clothing for like the majority of the walk, or at least... So most of most Westerners abroad wear shorts. Okay. Because it's just way, way too hot even to put a caftan. We're also going to need to consider mosquitoes as well. Yeah, I, it gets to a point... When you're abroad, that mosquitoes become a what's the word? Fact of life. It's like it becomes like I don't know how to describe it. What do we have the equivalent of here? Um, you say how you would see butterflies on a sunny day. It's how, many, how you would see mosquitoes. I don't think you can prepare for mosquitoes as well, such. We've got so, clothing that we can wear to at least create a barrier and repellent 
Uh, yeah, and what happens is that it becomes the clothing comes quite oppressive because it's quite if it's very hot and you're wearing stuff that's a bit draggy, you don't you kind of after a while you can, you stop using it really. I um, think the coolness was hard. Sure. I think what happens is with mosquitoes, it's nighttime that they're the biggest issue because you're asleep. When you're walking, they're, they're less they're less attracted to you, if you like. Mm. You know, you like any like any fly, anything like that. You know, at night they they, they feel more courageous because you're lying down, not moving. So at night it was more having you know mosquito nets and what what and incense and all sorts of things. So that at night is a much bigger problem with mosquitoes. Ninety mm. percent of people that have problems with mosquitoes it comes from nighttime. Because you're asleep, <laughs> you can't stop, you can't squat them off or anything, you know. They're literally having a feast on you while you're asleep. So, mosquito nets, things like that. But again, it's, it's you know, there is no 100% proof thing with mosquitoes. There's nothing that will work yeah. like that. So, as we'll be generally moving, I think that will kind of help. And as well, yeah. especially when we it, start it, cycling as well, that like, yeah. Oh, 100%. But you, you also, you find them in certain regions, like mosquitoes like stagnant water. Yeah. So they're much more predominant in places where it's very hot and stagnant So water. where, where we're walking, two. if potentially we're walking by the coast or on the other side but of, like, mountainous regions, then, you know, when we're, when we're low, that's where they'll be. Yeah, look, mountainous regions, they're less, you're less likely to find mosquitoes. Yeah. But by the coast, the problem is that people leave stagnant pools of water lying around. But otherwise, you wouldn't have them as much. Yeah. And also, sometimes the sea itself is stagnant, which there's not a lot of wind and everything. So there are times you can't avoid it. But, um, you know, most of the treatment... So I looked into this quite heavily last time I went away. Most of the treatment for malaria is post-catching it. Right. Yeah. There are something like 16... Bra- not brands, types of malaria you can brands. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Because I'm thinking yeah. fashion. Uh, there are 16 types of malaria and they inoculate you when you come out. You know when you go to the tropical clinics yeah. and you get your injection? So there are like um, eight, if that, that are covered by that. Right. So there's a good eight that you're not, not protected from. Okay. Okay. So what tends to happen is with malaria, they tend to treat you afterwards because they, they've got loads of things like quillaquine and all that that they use once you've caught it. Right, right, right. Yeah? Well, as much as possible, avoid areas where yeah. we'll need to go through that. Yeah, absolutely. But, but like you say, we're passing through, so it's different. A lot of people catch malaria because they stay in the same place for two weeks on holiday and obviously there's a greater yeah. chance. And, you know, you put your creams on and you put your nets on, but on the whole, they're 50-50. You know, you've got 200 mosquitoes. I mean, one or two are going to get through, come come what may. And most of the the oils and gels don't work in the way that people envisage they would. Um, So it's really a question of, I think we're moving on. I don't think we'll have a huge problem with it, to be honest with you. But, you know, it's just a matter of time and place like anything, you know. You know, you could argue you're going to have a bigger problem eating by a lion if you're in the wrong time in the wrong place. You could be eaten by a lion. And your, your mosquito net's not going to help you in that circumstance. Well, yeah, maybe we can get some lion repellent. Yeah, I wonder if there's such yeah, a thing as lion repellent. Surely, I don't know, you probably end What's up walking around pen- with like, I don't know, some, big, some maybe tiger dung spray or something, I don't know. 
Well, no tiger dung in, in, in Africa because there aren't tigers in Africa. Yeah, well, so they might recognise that it's from a bigger cat. Well, it's always possible. <laughs> um, I'm not sure that people have yet discovered a tactic for um, stopping lions coming at you. The, 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 the two areas that any animal, like if you had a dog or cat at your house, the only two areas where animals attack is if they're afraid or if they're hungry. Yeah. They're not like human beings who attack for sports and fun. They attack if they're hungry or they're, or they're scared. Yeah. So you've got to hope you meet them when they're not hungry and they're not scared of you. And then you'll be fine. They'll even come and play with you at that point. Well, that's all right then. Have you played with lions before? <laughs> I've saw a lion, actually. Yeah. Uh, I, wasn't ne- I wasn't near it. I was about 100 yards okay. away. What was that like? Um... Oh. Well, it was a very surreal experience because I I had a friend who came to Zimbabwe who wanted to, it was desperate to see an elephant yeah. and we we were hiking around the whole country trying to find an elephant I took it to all the national parks and what what and we really couldn't find an elephant anywhere and one of the trips we got a lift to um, we wanted to stay where it was called Wangay National Park where there was a safari park yeah. where we looked for elephants and we arrived quite late about six o'clock in the evening. And where we got dropped off was near a huge safari lodge. Mm. Now, I don't know if you know about safari lodges, but the one I'm talking about looked like Windsor Castle. Oh, wow. It was huge. It was huge. And as you enter, as you enter the building, there's elephant heads and lion heads on the, on the walls of this safari lodge. Oh. Right, exactly. And we looked at the price of rooms. We weren't ever thinking of staying there. We had a tent. We weren't thinking of staying there, but the rooms were like more than I would pay in any hotel in Africa for a week or a month's stay. Oh, wow. And just to get a drink at the bar, like to get a lemonade, was something like £25. Oh, wow. Okay. You can see that Africa's a lot cheaper than England. So this place was just like way out of our league. But when we went there, we found out there was a gentleman there who was a cook who was going to drive us to a safari park where he lived, where it was near the camping site, so we could get a lift with him. But the problem is he wasn't finished till midnight. So we're there at six o'clock and we've got to hang around, not even being able to afford a drink till midnight. What happened? So we we sit in this big room with lion skin everywhere and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, we, the film on television, would you believe, was out of Africa. So we're sitting there watching out of Africa because we've got nothing else to do for a couple of hours. And all of a sudden, two people outside go, lion, lion. So we're like, what? What are you talking about? Because it was like we're watching a movie. It was like we suddenly entered the movie because suddenly people are shouting, there's lions coming. <laughs> so we go to the window you know, like those big uh, double door window sort of things you can just see through the whole way through yeah. the glass doors. And at the bottom of the garden is a water hole where animals come to, to get water. Yeah. And it was so big that it had different animals at different parts of the water hole. Okay, yeah. And they had these spotlights on it. So it was dark. It was about nine o'clock at night. And there were these spotlights on it. So you could see the animals in the spotlight. Okay. And sure enough, two lions had come across. 
So they were like 50 yards away from us. Oh, wow. And they were just drinking from the water hole. Um, it was like, wow. I mean, I didn't think I'd get that close to a lion, to be fair. Wow. I mean, I was indoors and I wasn't particularly worried, but I'm saying I didn't ever assume I would get that close to a lion in the wild sort of thing. Uh, which was great. But what? Well, you were inside and they just walked past? No, they didn't walk past. They went to go and drink the water. Oh, right. Okay. So they walked past you to drink the water or? Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not walk past, you know, they skip past whatever they do. They don't, right. they don't sort of stroll around. They, it's in a hurry to get the water. Not faffing about worrying about people. Um, and But there was two of them. They, they, they skipped down there to get some water. So then and then they made their way off back into... They go back into the bush. Did they go up in a different direction? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, they're never coming to the house. Well, no, what I mean is like, so they'd gone and you, you all just went back outside as normal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, I had worse experiences with elephants and hippos than I had with lions. Oh, really? Way worse. Really? Yeah, just because they're bigger and more awkward. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I like, not being funny, but if a lion came running at you and knocked you over, you'd be all right. An elephant or a hippo comes and knocks you over, you know about it. Now, that didn't happen to me, but I'm just saying, that's, you, know, you know about it more. Yes. One of them comes and knocks you over. That would be a different story. Uh, and the thing is, that probably the most dangerous animal in Africa is the hippo because it has no sense of um, anything. It just wants to get back in the water. So if you're between <laughs> it and the water, you could be a car over it, and it would knock the car over. It doesn't care. It just wants to get back in the water. Oh. And the other, I mean, like elephants used to walk around the campsite gently to not trample down your tent. They had more sense. Like, a lot of the animals, like lions and elephants, have more sense of what man can do if he has a gun on him. Hippos don't care, and rhinos certainly mm. don't care. But these are very thick-skinned animals, yeah. you know. I'm saying in both senses of the word, you know, hippos and rhinos. They're very thick-skinned and almost prehistoric, really, as well. Well, you know, you see all of this. So and when, it is when, you're, when you're out there, did you kind of learn how to identify like a male or female animals in terms of like maybe their tribe? Not really. We didn't see enough of them to do that, really. Um, and to be honest, I didn't really need to. I mean, the lion is fairly obvious because yeah. their mane is different from male and female. So it's pretty obvious. But, you know, I knew most of the stuff before I went there, if you know what I mean, because just yeah. watching native programs on telly, I, 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 there was no necessity. It was, there was no difference. In I'd like to animals, kind of really. learn some of that, at least with some of the, those animals. I think it'd be, a, it'd be an educational experience so for we, sure, we'd because have, we'd, especially with Shiloh being there, it'd be awesome to kind of teach him, like, what... Yeah, we'd have to be we'd have to be somewhere where there are enough of them to dif differentiate. So a lot of places I went, we saw them in ones and twos. We didn't see, say, thirty or forty. Yeah, nothing like that. I mean, in in the, the border between Tanzania and Kenya, yeah, near on the Serengeti, they pass in thousands. But you wouldn't be hanging around there, to be honest, because you'd want to be out of the way of a thousand of anything running at you. So um, you'd, you'd need binoculars and stuff, and a, a vantage yeah. point. That would be cool. We'd enjoy that. Uh, when we get to Africa, when we get to Africa, in Africa and in Zimbabwe, if we're on bikes, I'm sure we can get to areas where there are animals. Ooh, that's going to be exciting.
I need to think about what kind of um, how shallow is going to travel, whether it's going to be on the back or in a sidecar. I'd really recommend a sidecar just for, because it's going to make for you and Charlotte yeah. a lot more comfortable. Because you're going a long way, and I think I think it, it's about both yeah. of you feeling relaxed yeah, and comfortable. Yeah, yeah. And also, he'll see more. He'll see more from that because if you get one of those, you know those things they have here for bikes, where it's like a buggy thing with a net over it. So a the net will help for mosquitoes and things, and b he'll be able to see yeah. more of what's going on around him. If he's behind mm. you, he's going to not see an awful lot. So you're going to have to keep stopping, which is going to just slow you down. And, uh, you know, it's not as comfortable. I just think it'd be, you know, you find a, a nice, comfortable side seat where it should be, should be absolutely fine. And he'd love it because he'll see so many things. I was just saying that I think if you had a side, yeah, side uh, thing like you have with bikes, can you hear me? Yeah, so if you have one of those, the, the chances are he's going to feel more. Um, what's the word I'm looking at? Well, he can see yeah, more. He's going to be more comfortable, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he'll get more out of the experience. And you can stop better if you have to stop to get out and take a picture of something. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, because yeah, it'd be easier to stop that way. Yeah. No, exactly. So you can break easy, and you know he's all right. Uh, and also, you want to be cycling at a speed that you, you know, it's not too yeah. fast for him as well. And I, you know, I think having a cycle will kind of slow me down as well. So yeah, to... yeah, which is so then you'll be more on my, my pace, so that'd be fine. So we'll be both the same sort of pace, and that'd be great. So that you know, we the pace I cycle, I can see things around me. So you know, if we spot a, a giraffe, we can actually see it rather than <laughs> so fast that you go past it and don't spot it, see them there. You know, giraffes are interesting because you, you think they'd stand out a mile, but when you see them in the bush with tall trees next to them, you do have to peer and find them. Uh, and there are so many animals that I haven't even mentioned, that small little animals that you just come across. You know, stuff like, for example, warthogs. You know, stuff that you just don't see until you see. And lots of the deer stuff like impala and kudu, those ones, they, you really have to... Uh, you can't be going bombing it. You'll miss yeah. all of them. No, of course that. You know, I'd, I'd love to be able to yeah. just take. Well, I say take our time, kind of keep fairly to schedule, but to be able to actually just appreciate what we're, you know, might. Well, I think that that's the key. I think if we if we're looking at say, if we're looking at average forty miles a day, we should be able to do it at a relaxed pace, um, yeah. and see most of the things that we need to see along the way. We should be that should be that should be attainable because we could even hit 50 60 miles if you know it's a good day and downhill and all that stuff. So I don't think it'll be a problem. Um, and we won't have to stop all the time because a lot of the landscape will look very similar for miles and miles and miles. Um, and you don't have to stop at those places because there's nothing there to see really. What the other thing you, you have to get used to seeing is people on the side of the road selling things, yeah, I like that. Like, <laughs> Because it's very hot. Okay, so you see. But the, the difference in Africa, obviously, is boiling hot. And, um, you know, often where I was in the bush, yeah, 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 yeah. the watermelon was more useful than water. Yeah. A, the water wasn't always drinkable. B, it, it, it wasn't to hand. 
you know, I don't want to go to a dry river and dig it up. I'd rather just get a watermelon and sort that out. Um, and you literally buy one for like say ten p, and then you have a watermelon mm. each, and it's just very refreshing and healthy. Obviously, it's very healthy to eat as um, well. So we've been here for almost forty minutes um, now, and Junior's not showed, not emailed back. So yeah, maybe we. Yeah, I'll contact him and see if we can yeah. reschedule because I don't know where he is. You know, he, he was pretty good. You know last what fashion time. people? I mean, like, he, he, you know, like twenty minutes in, like, it's, it's a wonderful entrance. Yeah, but asking. <laughs> but I think two out of two hey. is asking a lot. Well, um... you know, one out one out of two yeah. is not bad. Two out of two, not so good. Let's see how that goes. Um, so we will leave this episode where it is. I think we may well make this the long walk to awakening. I think it's kind of turned out to be that. Um, so yeah, 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 this has been good shout, not good shout, uh, good stargazers, shout. but it's been the long walk to awakening, um, where you'll be following our the journey of our trip across Africa. Pre, during, and post. Um, so yeah, thank you very much. Listeners, it's been a, uh, a wonderful afternoon. Um, Mark, any words? Wonderful. No, I just want to say thank yes. you. And, uh, thank Santa you also Santa. to Susanna too. Um, so yeah, that's it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.